Hi, welcome to Infinite Leaders Live. My name's Louis Keynes and our why is simple, to be better educators and to be better humans. We want to support and encourage infinite learning for everybody, regardless of their role or rank, to be willing to listen and learn. I'm joined as ever by Alan. Thanks, Louis. Really looking forward to diving deeper into understanding how leaders with an infinite mindset translate this across to their teams. We want to focus on the things you don't get taught at university or on any courses, real life lessons from real life people with real life experience. Uh, we're learning as well as ever and we're recording live and there'll be a few mistakes as we go through, but we would love your feedback. And if you've got anything positive or anything that you feel we can improve, please let us know via social media. You can find us now on IGTV and on YouTube. Alan and I are both on Twitter and our website is www.theinfinitelearners.com and Proud to announce as well that we're now on podcast platforms. If you can download us on Apple iTunes, leave a review and subscribe if you like what you're hearing, and similarly on Spotify as well. So sit back, listen, learn, and be ready to share with your colleagues and friends as we get stuck in and we introduce our guest out. Yes, Melissa Jacob, or MJ as she is better known as, has, has represented her country at both basketball and rugby and, and joins only a few elite athletes to have, to have had that honour. MJ has been at BSM for British School Miller for six years and he's currently the Assistant Director of Sport. So welcome MJ and please tell us a little bit about that fantastic journey you've been on. Yeah, sure. Hi guys, um, thanks for having me on. I've been really enjoying listening to your guys' uh, podcast and watching the YouTube channel. So yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Um, about me, I'm from Orange County, California. So grew up there, like the TV show, yes. Um, I played sport growing up, um, mainly soccer or football as you guys call it, and basketball. I uh, played club for both sports growing up, um, so travel ball and things like that. Um, in high school it got a bit more serious and um, our athletic director made, us, made me dis decide which sport I wanted to play. So, because um, soccer and basketball were in the same season, she thought that um, it'd be too tough to play both. So I decided to, to play basketball um, and then really wanted to push on and play in college, um, which took me out to Texas, out in the sticks in West Texas, where, where you looked left and right, you saw nothing but flat land. So it was definitely a different experience from being in Orange County, moving out to Texas. But yeah, really loved it there. Um, finished my two years there, moved over to UC Irvine, played basketball there as well. Um, got my degree in political science and then was trying to play overseas after that. Somewhere I knew um, with my abilities, I probably was aiming for like third division or fourth division over in Europe to try to go play over there. Um, so I was working out for a little bit after college, but nothing really happened. Um, I got a lot of emails saying, come out and try out, but you have to pay for your way out there, but nothing's guaranteed. Um, I didn't think it was worth it. so. Stopped playing um, and then I decided to start, I started working for Abercrombie and & Fitch um, in their management and training program. Um, so I was uh, working in a couple of the different retail stores, um, was with Abercrombie, Hollister, Abercrombie Kids. Um, and then maybe like six or seven months into working for Abercrombie, I got a call from my uncle saying that um, the Philippines were looking to recruit Philams, so Filipino-Americans, essentially what I am, um, to come and play. Um, in the SEA Games and, and represent the Philippines. Um, and so I just put a video together, a highlight clip, sent it out, 
um, heard back from SBP, which is the basketball body of the Philippines, and they invited me out. So I came out and I played um, SEA Games. That was 2007, I think. Um, and then after that, there really wasn't any anything going on with the national team. Um, there, there isn't a local league for women here. Um, so I decided to go back back to California um, and I went back to Abercrombie. I uh, was working there again and realized it's not something that I enjoyed doing. Um, and it was right at that cusp where I had a teammate from the Philippines come and visit me and said, there's loads of tournaments coming up. Why don't you come back and play? Um, I said, okay. So I emailed the coach and asked her, um, would it be okay if I came back and played? Um, she told me nothing's guaranteed. Um, I'd have to try out just like everyone else. And I told her no problem. Um, I told my mom I was going on vacation <laughs> and <laughs> in 2010 and I've been here since. So I uh, played with the national team for about five years um, in different tournaments, FIBA tournaments, SEA Games. Um, and then when I decided to stop playing, I got involved with the junior NBA um, with Alaska. So we went to different provinces in the Philippines and putting on clinics. Um, and I, I really started to, to enjoy coaching. And it reminded me, you know, seeing the kids out there reminded me why I got into sport in the first place. It's just, you just enjoy it. You just want to be with your friends. Um, and so, so I decided to explore the avenue of coaching. Um, and at that same time, um, a former student, Alex Tan, came and asked one of my teammates and said, hey, our, our coach is leaving. We need another coach at school. Would you be interested? And she said, well, I, I'm already coaching somewhere else, but my teammate might be. So that was me. So got got an interview. That's how I came into BSM. Um, so I thought I would just coach for a year, kind of travel around and then come back to California and figure out what I wanted to do. Um, so towards the end of that year that I was coaching at BSM, I decided to take my master's in coaching and athletic administration um, with the plans of going back to California and um, coaching in university. Um, and then that's when I also asked Lewis if I could intern in the department because I knew a lot of um, the stuff that I'd be uh, that was in the course in the master's course um, I could get real life experience uh, to complement the learning that I was getting and so I asked for intern and he said yeah um, and that's kind of what really started my journey fully into BSM um, finished my master's and then at that time I think Alan you asked me to come in and help out with a few lessons um, and I was blown away by the way you guys delivered PE um, because when I was growing I, I know it's a bit crazy to to say this, but I really hated PE growing up. Um, it was just more like, here's a ball, go out and play. And if you can't access it, you can't access it. You're not good enough. And that was that. But um, I think it was a net games lesson that I was out on. Um, and you had a challenge continuum and you're asking kids if it was too hard, how can you make it easier? If it was too um, easy, how can you make it harder? So they're playing a game that suits them. And I thought that was amazing. Um, and that was something that um, I wanted to be a part of um, and hopefully, you know, make an impact and create good experiences with PE to students. So then I decided to take my PGCE. Um, and this is all the time I'm still working at in the office. I think I went from intern to office assistant, PE assistant or something. And then um, my PGCE year. And then when I finished that, I got into um, finished my PGCE, uh, started working as an ASA coordinator. Um, and that's kind of where I've been the last two years, ASA coordinator and full-time teacher. 
that's kind of where I am now. <laughs> wow, a whirlwind. Um, <laughs> from Texas to political science to Abercrombie and Fitch to, <laughs> if, I, if I'm right, you were a, a Filipino national that had never lived or visited the Philippines, um, that was California born and raised with a brief stint in Texas. How did, how did you feel coming over to the Philippines, being in a Philippine national team, having, having not been to the Philippines before? Did, did, you, did you feel like you were part of that setup and that you were, you were ready to represent a, a country? Did you call it your country? What, what was that like? So I had been to the Philippines when I was like five or six. Obviously, I don't really, really remember much. And we spent most of the time out in the province, so it was completely different to what Manila is. Um, and then... I came back out in 2007 and it was this, the, the first time I played for the Philippines was a completely different experience when I came back in 2010. So um, I think I came out two months before, six weeks before the tournament. So working with the team um, and they kept, so there's three Philams and me, Vicky and Amir, they kept us separate from um, the locals. And so I found that really difficult. So to try to build the relationships with your teammates and um, you couldn't, cause I was just, you know, we'd go to training and then we'd leave and then we're just separate. So was, I didn't um, really get to see what it was like to be a Filipino, if that makes sense. Um, and you can't describe or put into words what it's like to go and ex to play for a national team until you actually go and do it or the weight behind it. Um, I went in, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go play for the national team, but you don't understand the weight of those words till you actually go and do it. Um, yeah, it's really hard to explain. So then when I left it and then I came back in 2010, um, I was really embedded with the team. So um, we had a townhouse where some of the girls that were from the provinces stayed. Um, so I was going out to um, <laughs> like the Turo Turo shop. So like the little Carnderia um, places where you go and get food, like the street food type places. Um, and one of the big things with Filipinos is um, Filipino culture is the phrase is like marunong makasama. So basically, can you get along with your teammates? Can you get along with the group? And, and so me getting away from that, so not being the Westerner, not being, you know, the foreigner that's coming in, but actually trying to adapt and, and learn the culture and, and learn what it's about. And I felt it was more rewarding the second time around than the first time around. Did you, um, did you feel that you'd done that? Yes. Yeah, because I got, I got a glimpse of, of what it's like. Um, it could have been really easy for me to say, no, I don't want to eat there because that's not what I'm used to. I'm going to go and eat where I want to go eat at. Or I could have completely isolated myself and said, well, this is the way I am. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to do what I want. Um, but no, like I got, I got a deeper sense of, of what it is to be Filipino. And then, you know, some of my teammates being able to go and visit their provinces and actually seeing what it's like. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, definitely left a different mark on me than than it would have if I if it was still that split team I guess and do, do a lot of expats do what you've just described do, do they try and keep themselves separate stick to what they know and they don't embrace that team feeling um I can't I mean I can't really speak for anyone anyone else um that was just that was just my experience with, with it um I know you know there's lots of philams in the PBA um I some of them have really adopted well and they, and they live here and they um, have played for the national team and things like that. But just, 
just from my own experience, yeah, I, I, I really wanted to, to get to know my roots. I really wanted to go out and see the Philippines. I really wanted to get out and, and see where, where my parents came from and where they grew up. So that was really important to me. Hey, MJ, I love that. Your journey for me is a, an absolute inspiration. A, a way, how you've gone from ground to get to where you are now, it, it, it really inspires me. Um, just a couple of things from me there linked to, to your to your journey is did what values did you then transfer across from that experience to to your workplace and then just linked into that what are your core values um no sport with it's there's so many things that could transfer over um i think the first one would be just hard work no job is too little um so putting in the effort to try to you know you have a goal or you want to get somewhere um, you can roll up your sleeves and put in the work to get there. Um, I think another one is being true to myself and, and being self-aware. So making decisions that sit right with me, not necessarily that would get me somewhere, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And then the last one would be being selfless. So it's not always about me, but but how can I help others? How can I serve others? or Or how can I benefit others, if that makes sense? And do you feel as if those those core values were enhanced by your experience coming from the states and and into that Filipino community? Was it enhanced? Um, yes, I think so. Um, coming into the national team, um, there's always this um, stereotype with Philams that they're lazy and they just you know expect to get all the playing time but not put in the work. Um, so that was really important to me the second time I came around to show that I was willing to put in the work. You know, I'm not here just because, you know, they said, come and play. No, I actually want to be part of the team. I want to earn my spot um, and I don't want anything given to me. So I think that definitely was enhanced. Um, being selfless, so stepping away from, like I said earlier, um, you know, not imposing my culture or my will to... To the, Filip uh, to the Filipino or local players, it, it should have been the other way around. I should be the one trying to learn from them what it's like. I'm going out and representing the Philippines. Why would I impose my, my culture, my upbringing when I'm representing the Philippines? Um, so yeah, and then, yeah, trying to be true to myself, obviously. Um, there's things that, yeah, making decisions that's, that sit right with me with the national team. Um, I think, when I, there were times where Tita Cynthia, so our manager Tita Cynthia was like, um, asked me, like, I, I probably told her a couple of times, I'm, I think I'm done playing. I, I'm ready to move on to something else. And she's like, well, have a think about it. Do you think you want to stay on a little bit longer? You could probably play a couple more years and, you know, sitting back and, and trying to take stock and see where I am. And yeah, and just being true, my, true to myself and answering, okay, yeah, maybe I can play one more year and then I can figure out what I'm going to do after basketball that so 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 in terms of core values i think you've you've articulated well there around hard work being true to yourself and being selfless um i can imagine leaving elite basketball in your late 20s to go and be a complete beginner in terms of coaching and teaching was incredibly humbling how, how did those kind of values help you with that kind of transition <laughs> honestly that those two or three years after playing basketball was probably the hardest personally because you know where you're at as a, as a basketball player. You know who you are. 
and then to step back and kind of start all over again and trying to find your identity. Um, I grappled with, you know, stopping playing basketball. I played, you know, 10, you know, five, 10 years after graduating college. Um, and then, you know, my friends are 10 years into their career and I'm just starting a career and then comparing myself to them, like, what do I have to show for the last 10 years? So that, that kind of weighing that, um, yeah. And then, and then trying to, to step on the gas to get to somewhere to feel like I've proven myself, but actually telling myself to slow down because I'm not there yet. Um, you don't get somewhere by just saying you want to be there. You need to, you need to put in the work to be able to get to where you want to go. So, so how did you check yourself there? You know, you talked about identity, which I think is a, a really interesting word, having listened to what you've said there as a, an American who came to the Philippines as a Filipino, but very much an American, um, making sure that you were working hard around your own core values of, you know, rolling your sleeves up and putting a shift in with your teammates and showing that you were the kind of person that would be willing to do that and maybe not an expat that, that wanted things to be different and then wanted any preferential treatment. And then you're going from being a basketballer where you had an identity and, and you were a fantastic basketballer for the country and then moving into that transition of teaching. Um, being new to teaching and, and being in a position where suddenly none of those things were there, how did you handle that recreation of your identity? Or how did you even begin rebuilding that? And, and what did that look like? What, what kind of things helped you? Um, you know, conversations with my mom helped me a lot. Um, talking to her and, you know, kind of not complaining, but venting about where I am in my life and things like that. But it, it always comes back. She's always told me this since I was younger. It's always, where are you now? Where do you want to be? What do you need to do to get there? Um, and I think stripping it back to that definitely helped it. Um, you know, I was like, okay, I want to get my master's now. Um, you need to take a step back. Um, and I, again, related it to basketball. You don't, you don't become a really good basketball player by saying, I'm going to be a good basketball player. You need to put in the work to, to eventually become that good basketball player nobody is just born good or good at what they do they need to put the work in to have those experiences to be able to call on and 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 make those decisions in those times so um yeah that's kind of where I'm at I love that line of nobody's born good at what they do you have to put the work in I, I think that's brilliant yeah it certainly resonates with with some of our uh, core visions of, uh, of the infinite leaders um I'm interested there, MJ, you start your teaching. What did you find really challenging in that first sort of the PGC? And then for me, PGC is just the, 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 the way of getting qualified. The real teaching starts after that. So what was the most challenging period in that time? It was just intimidating to be with, um, in the office with such experienced teachers. Um, and then just taking away that fear, I think, was the biggest thing for me is, you know, you had you, Jules, Lewis, um, Ian, like people with loads of experience and here I'm in and then, you know, getting, uh, you guys would come in and, and watch lessons and critique. Um, but just, just stepping back and saying, it's okay. Like you don't, like I said, you don't start being good. You got to go out and try things. And if it doesn't work, um, reflect on it, improve it, and then try again. Um, and that's kind of the way I've been since being at BSM. I don't expect things to go smoothly the first time I go and do it. I just need to go and do it and then make changes and adjustments as I go. <laughs> it's a good job in it. They don't often go smoothly. <laughs> oh, but yeah. 
what was your most challenging period there, MJ, in terms of, uh, was it like a work-life balance where you're still trying to be a little bit of an athlete at the side as well and your rugby experiences coming through? Or, or was it pedagogy? Or was it leadership in your, in your coordination role? Which one was it that really caused you the challenge? I think it was just coming to grips with my own self. So that crux where I start playing basketball, I'm coming in to become a, an intern. Okay. So taking, you know, taking a step back and saying that's okay. Then being in a, a completely new environment. So I thought in my head, coming into an international school, which is, you know, Western, I'd kind of fit in, but then there's a Philippine, like there's a support staff, which is Filipino, and then there's the British staff, which is completely different. And then, here I am again, an American, and I felt like out of place a little bit sometimes. Um, and then, so trying to prove myself in the different groups and then trying to prove myself to myself um, <laughs> was really tough um, until, I, until I said, you know, you're on your own journey. Um, you don't need to compare yourself to others. You'll get to where you need to go when you, in your own time. Um, that helped me a lot. And then, again, just being true to myself, um, I don't need to force myself to fit in where I need to fit in. Um, you know, you'll, you'll find your friends or people that, that will want to be around you just by being yourself. So, I'm, I'm going to mention it again because it came up, that idea of identity. and You've touched upon accepting yourself there and really becoming much more comfortable with who you are. Um, a lot of what you've said, I imagine, will resonate with your third culture kids, the children who, who don't know the country they're born in particularly well or that belong to a nationality that they don't understand the culture of or they haven't been immersed in it, and then they're taken out and placed in a different school. Would you say that resonates with you? And, and would you say that now you do understand your identity and, and you do feel like you know yourself and where you're at? Yeah, big time. Um, it wasn't until, when did Hazel come? Um, 2017, I think. Um, and she introduced the book Third Culture Kid and she was really like pushing um, those kinds of topics and ideas. So I grabbed the book straight away because I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I was reading through um, and the one that resonated with me was the hidden immigrant, which is what I am. So people that are born somewhere else. So I was Filipino, but both my parents are Filipino, but I was born in America and then moved back to the country where my parents are from. So I look like a Filipino. Um, but I'm not Filipino. Um, and so reading that, so I was like, okay, that, that made sense to me um, and kind of helped put words to what I was feeling because I was feeling frustrated with it. Cause, um, and then again, same with, you know, being an American in a British school and trying to find my place in that. And it wasn't until I went and had a conversation with, with Hazel um, and she said, you know, you're not the only one that feels that way. Um, there are other people out there like you. And I was, it just felt like a huge relief. And I was like, okay, you know, um, so yeah. What, what advice there would you give to, to the, I like, I like that term, that hidden immigrant, I, from, a, from a selfish perspective, I've got twins that were born in Qatar that identified themselves as British, but never lived in, never lived in Britain. And now they're going to be moving from the Philippines, which the class is their home, to Saudi Arabia, which is another place where they're going to live. How, how, what advice could you give those? Um, I think for me, I think don't take things too personal and um, people don't know your context. People don't know your background um, and take the time to explain your context and your background okay. to help them understand where you're coming from. Well, I just thought on that MJ, what, what kind of barriers have you felt you've faced or, or difficulties you felt you faced because of 
um, that misunderstanding or that assumption that you're one thing but you're not, you're the other thing? Um, it, it, it frustrated me a little bit um, coming in because like, people try to classify you, they try to pigeonhole you just to, to, help, to help them them understand you I guess um, so you know coming in or like you know at first looks oh she's Filipino she supports that boom done or oh well she speaks English really well so she is British or she's Western so <laughs> you know and like I had I know it sounds really crazy but I had um, you know people come and say like oh why is your English so good and I was like well I'm from California and they'd be like oh, okay that explains it and you're like wait what does that even mean like <laughs> <laughs> But I can't take, and I, that would really make me upset and angry. I'm like, why are you taking things at face value? Why aren't you getting to know me and where I'm from and what my upbringing is and what my context is um, before making those assumptions? Um, but then once I had that talk with Hazel and I said, you know what, I just brush it off because if they want to take the time to get to know me and understand me, then good. If they don't, that's not my problem. And I can just brush it off. <laughs> too right, too right. That's a really strong thing to say. And I know that you you had a snigger through that, but I imagine at times that must have been really, really difficult. Was there was there one time that you can remember where where that did become a little bit too overwhelming, and and you were sick of this categorization or pigeonholing that you felt was unfair? That is, of course, unfair. Um, it was right at the time, literally when um, Hazel came and she was talking about the book. Uh, third culture kid read it um, and then I met went and and had a few conversations with her I don't think it's just one particular thing it's just you know the whole the whole thing of it I guess and there wasn't anything too tough um, or too bad I would say um, but it was just yeah just taking a step back and, and just not taking it personal and and um, explaining to people where I came from and then they can take it how they want to take it after that <laughs> Very interesting conversations to have, and, and I'm sure it will resonate with a, with a lot of people out there. Um, what advice would you give your, give your younger self, knowing what you know now? Um, one would be don't take relationship for granted, and you don't know how long people will be in your life for. Um, be patient with yourself, and you'll take longer to develop and get where you want to get, um, so just be patient. Um, and then take a step back and be proud of what you've accomplished. Um, I think I've had my foot on the gas pedal for so long that I forget to, to pause and, and look back sometimes and, and what I've, I've, and I hate, I hate doing this, but what I've achieved and what I've done, I think, yes, yeah, so it's definitely something to be, to be proud of. Go on so, then. Take a moment now and tell us some of those things that you are incredibly proud of. You know, just going out and, and, rep and playing for the national team, that is really cool. For when I started at BSM, part of me wanted to hide that bit from me. Uh, hide that bit. I just didn't want people to say, oh, she's a basketball player, that's all she is. Um, but now looking back, that was definitely wrong. Um, yeah, something proud. How many people can say they represented um, their country? So, yeah, so being proud of that. Um, being proud of, you know, Swallowing my pride a little bit and saying, you know, come back, I, I, can I be an intern? Um, I don't think a lot of people would do that, you know? Um, and I, I think I pride myself on that. I've, I've put the work in to, to get to, to where I am. 
So yeah, just take a step back, be proud of what I've done and, and the work I've put in to get there. Good for you. And, and I'd probably agree that there are people out there that would think that after an international career in a sport that they've done what they need to do. And, and that's it, feet up. And, and despite the fact that you could have done that, and obviously financially, eventually you would have needed to do something, I imagine, but you could have done that and tried to ride that crest, but you showed a, a hell of a lot of humility in, in starting again and, and really making sure that you were taking something on that you felt passionate about. And where, where does PE and sport lie for you now? What, what are your passions? What parts of it do you enjoy? And do you see yourself doing this for, for the rest of, of your career and the rest of your life? Um... I just enjoy being with the students, really. Um, like I said, when I started coaching with Alaska, um, just seeing the joy that they come to, to the clinics with just reminded of me of my relationship with sport. And if I could, could somehow impart that to the students where they walk away with a, with a good relationship with PE and, and physical fitness, I think... Um, that's something that I try to strive for. And then everything that we've been doing for the last few years in terms of, of the values-driven curriculum, um, it's not necessarily all about the skills that you can do in a particular sport, but what values can you take away um, from PE as well. So, yeah. MJ, you've now moved into leadership and you've got big challenges ahead of you. What do you think is going to be your biggest challenge in the next couple of years? Um, I think just, uh, just stepping into that role. Um, I feel like the last few years I've had training wheels on, um, with you and, and Lewis in my corner. Um, and I could take those risks cause, um, I know you guys would have, you guys would be there to support me. Um, but now moving into this with you guys moving on and um, maybe finding a different support system in place to. Um, to bounce ideas off of or, or make sure I'm kind of on the right track. So I think, yeah, just recalibrating my support system there. Okay. What, what do you do at the moment, MJ, to try and support you? What, what's, what's in your toolkit for keeping you on a level keel and, and maintaining the equilibrium between, you know, what is a, a difficult um, and challenging position in school, but, but also having a life? How, how do you try and work that balance? Um, so... School does get busy, it gets super stressful. Um, I definitely put in time to get some activity in somehow. So whether it's, you know, training, going to nomads and, and getting a rugby session in or planning time um, in the gym. I usually like to get in, in the gym before school um, and that just kind of sets me um, in, a good, in a good place coming into work um, and with a clear head. And I, I find myself when I'm super stressed or really stressed going out for um, a run or um, doing a bit of yoga or getting a, a workout in the gym that definitely resets me um, and then just just talking with people not about work because um, then it takes your your mind away from what you were stressed about for a bit and then you come back again with the with a clearer mind I think so those are the things in my toolkit that help alleviate stress a bit yeah um, you we've touched upon rugby there and I think it's important that we we explore this a little bit. You've, you've played for your country at basketball and now you've gone on and, and represented your country in rugby. What was the transfer like there between the two? And then how did it feel second time around as a, as a more mature young woman 
from the last time and and just talk us through that journey that for, for rugby really because that's incredible and I really tried to say no to play for the national team <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so the um one of the guys from the PRFU um he did ask me like months months back and he was just like hey do you want to come in and train for the national team I said look I've, I've played for a national team already and um, I've done my time I don't feel like I just want to enjoy sport I don't want to put and um, you get to a point where you with basketball I really had to love basketball to, in order to to do what I was doing Um I think people think oh you play professionally you get paid to do what you're doing but they don't see the back end of it so you know, we'd have either a conditioning session or a weight session in the morning. Um, I'd go and see the physio, go and get a massage, not a massage, but like get the knots worked out. Um, and then we'd have team practice in the, in the evening and then recycle and do it again the next day. So it was with basketball, it was just a lot of pressure on and, and you want to make sure you're performing. And I don't want that pressure anymore with sport. I just wanted to go out and enjoy it and have fun and, and be with my friends. So I think my initial gut reaction was, no, I don't want to go play for the national team. Um, and then Fitz, our coach at, with the Rogues at Nomad, said, um, you know, why don't you just come on and see what it's like? Um, and then that's just kind of how I took it, very much how in stride with how I did at BSM in terms of being an intern. I just wanted to go and, and, and learn, really, um, and learn more about the sport. Um, so when I went to, to national team training, it wasn't that I wanted to make the national team. It was just to to understand and learn more about rugby. Um, and then, yeah, just kept on getting invited to training camps and just put a shift in and worked with no expectations. And <laughs> how, how important there, MJ, is that transfer? You know, you said through college and then through high school, you played football and basketball, obviously basketball at a high level, an active background. How important was that kind of multi-sports foundation for you to pick up rugby and literally, you know, hit the ground running? Oh, there were so many parallels between basketball and rugby. Um, and that, I think that's the way I helped coach my, to try to um, speed my learning up a bit. I, just, yeah, I, think, I think the Philippines and Australian basketball team took that literally, didn't they? Yeah, in that. The parallels between basketball and rugby. <laughs> um, but yeah, just the parallels of it. And then just putting what I was learning in rugby in a context that I understand, so I would just put it in basketball terms and then that's how I would remember things. Um, but I think, you know, patterns, you play, you know, a matchup zone basically in rugby. So man-to-man, -man, person in front of me, if they move away, someone else comes into my space, okay. Um, and then in basketball, and, or in rugby, it's the same. Like, I, I was a point guard, so in basketball, so it fit in really well with me, just trying to draw the defender and then making the pass and making reads off of that. Um, and then obviously the ball handling skills, being able to pass, being able to catch, um, I think that helped a lot coming into into rugby as well. Thanks, MJ. It's it's, it's still a, an incredible achievement, and we're all really proud of you for doing that. Thanks. <laughs> Moving forward, then we've got these. We would like to finish on some quick fires. So we're going to start with what book you're reading at the moment. I literally just finished last night um, Born a Crime, the Trevor Noah book. And then, so this morning, I downloaded um, off the Kindle, The Language of Coaching um, by Nick Winkleman, I think. So it's, um, and the art of, language of coaching and the art and science of teaching movement. So that kind of fits in with our um, 
physical literacy and movement skills and, and trying to, to create a language that sticks with, with the people that you're teaching or coaching, you know, with like little, you know, your ones and twos, which I struggled with, you know, telling them to do high knees, you know, keep your knees at 90 degrees and move your arms like this. They're like, what? Um, but just trying to find that language that, that relates to them to, to be able to understand what you're teaching. What, what, what did you think to Born a Crime? Unbelievable book, eh? Yeah, that was really good. Um, and just, just listening to, to his stories. Um, and yeah, it was really good. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> Next got one, you got. Um, three non-negotiables that you're going to take in as a leader. Um, so in terms of leaders, so the, the, what I've kind of had is with my basketball team. So this is kind of what I have with my under 13. So my three non-negotiables with them is their effort. So when they come into practice um, they give their best effort, no matter what. Um, second is they're coachable. So I think this will transfer. So your willingness to learn. So not coming in thinking, you know, everything, but being open and, and learning. Um, and then the last one that I have for them is, is being accountable, so responsible for, uh, re responsible for their actions. Because um, a lot of times, you know, we only train once a week, um, and sometimes they, they might skip out training, but they want to go and play in a game. And I tell them, well, you didn't come to training. What makes you think you can play in a game? And that kind of yeah. sets them up a little bit. So. I think what's interesting there is how your non-negotiables are so related to your core values as well. It's, it's, <laughs> You'd cut your teams reflect your core values. Um, Lewis, go on, you can finish off. Last one then. Um, three leaders from history um, that you'd love to go out for a meal with. Um, Michelle Obama. I loved reading her Popular book. choice, Michelle, isn't she? Popular choice. We've had her on a few times. <laughs> She'd be one. Um, I think, I don't know if they're leaders in history, but they definitely had an impact on me growing up. So Mia Hamm and Brandy Chastain. So growing up watching football um, and watching their run through the World Cup in 1999, I think, um, really left a mark on me and it, it showed me that, yes, I can go out and play sport. Um, so I just would want to have a meal with them and, or drink with them or just say thank you for that. Um, and then Becky Hammond, who is, she played in the WNBA um, <clears throat> and then now she's an assistant coach for the San Antonio Spurs. Um, so again, a, a female in a male-dominated um, arena so just trying to pick her brain and see what her experience is like with that. super I'm going to ask you one last question um, okay. what what advice would you give an aspiring female leader um, you don't need a title to be a leader um, you can be a leader with with the way you handle yourself and with the way you do things and 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 by being an example of of what people should aspire to be, I think. I think that's a wonderful place to finish. MJ, thanks very much. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Some absolute pearling advice and some, some real honesty. Thanks very much. Thanks, Guys, search Infinite Leaders live on YouTube and IGTV. And as I mentioned at the top, we're also pleased to announce that we're on all popular podcast platforms, um, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So please share far and wide. Um, every time you subscribe or leave a review, it really helps us to get our messages out to more people and for people to learn from the brilliant guests that we have on. So please, if you can do that, that's a huge help. I remember to visit www.infinitelearners.com for articles, webinars, 
and our weekly journal notes. And that's us out. Thanks very much for joining us and we'll see you next time.